This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. There are six candidates running for two positions on the Unified School Board. I have kind of a behind-the-scenes view. I bring different pieces to the table than others do in that way. Here, a report on the school board races, plus a winner of the Bloomington Human Relations Commission Black History Essay Contest, shares their thoughts about a prominent African-American that it's important to remember. Aaliyah Trice tells you about Ruby Bridges. And Bloomington Mayor Terry Renner stops by to say how happy he is that the O'Neill Pool and Park Project is finally going forward. that and a news update on the way. This is Sound Ideas on WGLT. Support for Sound Ideas comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology, the best hearing device center in the Panagraph Reader's Choice Awards for the sixth year in a row. Bloomington Normal Audiology thanks the listeners and their continued vote of confidence as the leaders in hearing and technology. With a practice featuring five doctors, including two who wear hearing devices themselves, BNA takes a genuine interest in each patient and helps you keep hearing the most important sounds of your life. More information at bnaudiology.com. Bloomington Normal Audiology, here for you. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. Let's run down some of the day's top stories. One school leader in McLean County says his district got a double whammy that shortchanged the coronavirus aid it received. Dave Mauser is superintendent of Tri-Valley Schools and Downs. Mauser says the school district was shut out of federal money in the latest COVID relief bill because the district didn't have enough low-income families to qualify for federal funding last year. As the third round of this comes out, to see that we're shut out again, at least on paper, is um, it, it's extremely frustrating. You know, you look at the numbers and you immediately, like, almost viscerally react to it. Tri-Valley got $70,000 through the second COVID relief bill. Mauser says that came from the state's discretionary fund. He says it's not enough to cover expenses to keep schools open during the pandemic. Tri-Valley has again asked the state school superintendent to provide financial relief. McLean County's coronavirus testing positivity rate has reached its highest level in nearly two months at nearly 4%. The county health department has announced 68 new coronavirus cases. Illinois State University reports 14 new cases among students a week after students returned from spring break. That's the highest single-day total on campus since early February. COVID vaccinations appear to have slowed in McLean County. The state reports about 660 vaccines administered Sunday and Monday. As the number of COVID-related deaths increased, negative attitudes toward Asian Americans increased as well. McLean County Board Member Sharon Chung says she has had to endure sexual objectification and harassment in the past. Now Chung says she has to speak out. And I'm kind of thinking about all the other times in my life where I felt I had to sort of do that to protect myself from from men and (laughs) sorts of objectification that they do. Sharon Chung says the gross fetishism of Asian women has to stop. Other Asian American women in Bloomington Normal say they share their locations with friends just in case someone targets them because of their ethnic heritage. The pandemic has reduced the number of students who want to become teachers. That's according to the president of the Illinois Education Association, Kathy Griffin. Griffin also says that adds to an existing teacher shortage. When you have a profession over many years that has been um, 
in a way, blamed for many of, of, of society's problems, you're not going to have as many of our students wanting to go into that profession. Griffin says teachers and teacher candidates need more support. The Illinois State Board of Education reports around 4,500 vacancies for the current school year. That's up from around 2,000 vacancies four years ago. Illinois has agreed to the early release of some low to medium risk inmates as part of a settlement of a federal lawsuit over the coronavirus. A lawyer involved in the case says about 1,000 inmates scheduled for release in the next nine months could soon be set free. The lawsuit was filed last spring amid a growing COVID-19 health crisis in state lockups. Since the pandemic began, 87 inmates and one staff member have died of COVID-19, and nearly 11,000 inmates and 4,200 staff members have tested positive. That's according to Department of Corrections statistics. This is Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM, WGLT, and WGLT.org. I'm Charlie Schlenker. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. BNA continues its educational video series, Hear My Story, with local patient Robert Handley. Once I got the Bluetooth hearing aid, I'd say 90% of the people that I talk to on the phone, I can understand. Didn't have that before. Robert's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. You're listening to Bloomington Normal's Public Media. Nearly half of the Unit 5 school board will turn over after the April 6th election. Three seats are up for grabs with no incumbents running. The race is heavily contested, with six candidates hoping for voter support. The field includes a wide range of perspectives, from teachers to parents to recent graduates. Dana Vollmer has more. Janelle Sapar is the only educator in the race. She teaches science in El Paso Gridley. I have kind of a behind-the-scenes view. I bring different pieces to the table than others do in that way. I also have a background in science and therefore I'm far more of a evidence and data-driven individual than it being about opinions. All four of her children attend Unit 5 schools. Sapar says they were drawn to the solid academic programming. I've also gotten to see as a taxpayer citizen that unfortunately Unit 5 has uh, budgeting issues and I got involved because I'm hopeful that we can do some work together as a new board and try and find some solutions. Sapar says there's a way to address the district's budget woes without allowing it to fall into stagnation. Sapar says the district should be more proactive about seeking grant opportunities. She says there are a few line items that need to be continually reevaluated to make sure they're being handled as cost effectively as possible. Things like transportation is huge. I'm well aware that our busing system has been altered several times over the last 14 years that I've been here, and I'm guessing more beyond that. And part of that is because it's very expensive to handle the transportation, especially given the way the districting lines are and how some students are crossed from place to place. Sapar says staffing changes should also be considered more often, ensuring the best people are on the job and students' needs are met in a financially responsible way. Challenger Gavin Cunningham says staffing cuts are not on the table for him during budget restructuring. Cunningham graduated from Normal Community West last year. He's now studying special education at Illinois State University. I decided that I wanted to run because when I look at the current school board, I don't see anybody who looks like myself. There is no student representation or recent graduate representation. And while I appreciate everything that the current school board has done, there are issues that are directly impacting students. 
um, that I believe are not being addressed. Cunningham says he can help bridge the gap between administrators, teachers, and parents, and those at the center of these decisions, the students. I've often told people that your, your children don't always tell you the complete truth when it comes to what's going on in their lives. And that's very applicable to what's going on in the school district. Students are often afraid to talk about what's going on, afraid to talk about mental health, that sort of stuff. And it's frankly something that's, um, that many students are being affected by. Cunningham says he also wants to ensure students are taught diverse and complete history. If elected, he wants to create a subcommittee to reform K-12 history curriculum. Anything from teaching about Juneteenth in high school to talking more accurately about the relationships between Native Americans and European immigrants um, and, even, and even kindergarten and first grade. Cunningham says he's also running to represent Bloomington's West Side, a community he says has long been voiceless on the school board. Erica Ralston is also running because she feels some communities are underrepresented. Ralston says she stays involved in her son's education. She's part of the Sugar Creek Elementary PTO. She also served on Heartland Head Start's governing board. Ralston says she doesn't see enough black and brown people brought to the table, and when they are in the room, they're not necessarily being listened to. I want to be that ear. I want to be the person that that listens. I want to help our school board in listening to to all stakeholders, not just not just the people that come to the meetings, the people that are not able to come to the meetings. Ralston says Unit 5 offers great programming for students who are excelling, but not so much for the kids who are struggling in school. How do we help them to achieve what they want to achieve. So if they want to be at a 5.0, what are we doing to make that attainable to them? What are we doing to make sure that even the kids that have failed behind get to where they need to be? When it comes to paying for that programming, Ralston says fundraising could go a long way. We can say all day long that we want, we want, we want, we want, but where's the need at? And if those cuts have to be done, then why not see what we can do, maybe fundraise. Most kids, if you tell them basketball is going to be cut, and that's something that they really, really like, and they say, well, if we raise this amount of money, we can keep this program. Ralston says the district could seek corporate partnerships with companies like State Farm, Country Financial, or even Home Depot, where she works. Kentrika Coleman, who also prioritizes identifying and addressing equity gaps for students. I know that we want to enable all students in this district to thrive and compete, no matter their circumstances. And in doing so, we must address and um, understand barriers that are keeping them from moving forward. I commit to be that voice for all students. Coleman currently serves on Unit 5 Citizens Advisory Council. She's also president of the Evans Junior High PTO and works with several booster clubs. Coleman says in all of these capacities, she takes an issues-focused approach. You think about the financial health of Unit 5. Um, we've talked about lack of diversity in staff. We talk about our academic achievement gaps, you know, uh, between minority versus mon- non-minority students, right? And how do we close that gap there? Um, we've talked about um, remote learning and pandemic recovery. Like all other candidates, Coleman says she wants to focus on revenue generation, not budget cuts, to keep the district spending on track. As we think about what a three to five year deficit reduction plan would look like. What are those ways that we can increase revenue that's maybe leverages, you know, our assets, right? Our current assets, like for example, our buildings. Can it be leveraged as a shared resource with the community? 
Also like the other candidates, Coleman acknowledges a property tax hike might become necessary, but she says the district must do significant outreach before putting a measure on the ballot to make sure there's community buy-in. Challenger Stan Gozier agrees. The State Farm actuary says he wants to use his budgeting and mathematical savvy to tackle district funding deficits head-on. Gozier says he's disappointed the graduated income tax referendum didn't pass in November. He says voters may not have thought about how it would impact local schools, especially with other revenue new sources hampered by the pandemic. That does end up being becoming uh, less money in the state budget toward our local school districts. Uh, so we really have to take a look inside at our school district, uh, have those conversations with our community and say, what is it that, that we truly want uh, the Unit 5 to look like? Um, where do we want the the responsibility and the, the ownership of its success to lie? Gozier says he does not approach the race with an agenda. He says he wants his role to be representative of the will of constituents. I'm not saying things are broken. I'm not saying this one area in particular is the sole reason I'm running. Uh, I'm running for the full term. I want to uh, Im- I want to be a voice for everyone in the district, all students, all parents. I want to be a good fiduciary for all taxpayers. Gozier says he would like to see more attention paid to closing the educational gap by focusing on younger students. And what I would like to do is really focus on how can Unit 5 improve that by concentrating on the elementary level. This is where students are most impressionable, more impressionable than any other age, and they're coming in with the widest range of needs. They can be special education needs, they can be social emotional needs, uh, they may just be remedial to get up to the point where they are at grade level. Candidate Jeremy DeHigh also says relying on state funding isn't a safe bet. DeHigh, a sales manager at Croft Chemical Company, says out-migration from Illinois doesn't paint an optimistic picture for the future tax base. I'd like to see if there's potential for getting donations to school district for other things. If if there's grants that can be provided by organizations like State Farm or other uh, corporate entities in the area that can provide grants to the school district for programs and for education. DeHi says a good example is the $1 million donation from Rivian and Redditus Labs to provide COVID-19 testing to Unit 5 high schools. The pandemic is what prompted DeHi to run. He says his top priority is getting students back into the classroom. There are kids in the community that maybe have, they don't have good internet access. They have a single parent that is working and they don't have somebody that can be there with them, you know, younger kids in particular. Um, We need to advocate for getting these students back in school as soon as possible Um, so that they can continue their education. There's going to be some ground to be made up for a lot of these students. DeHi says remote learning has been particularly detrimental for students in special education programs. He says that's one area he would not consider cutting funding. DeHi says what sets him apart from the other candidates are his intentions. He says he's in it to serve the community, not bolster his own profile. My sole focus is on the student's of the district. So that's what I'm doing. I think, and I'm I'm not knocking any of the other candidates by saying this. I think some of the other folks, for them, this is potentially a launch of their political career, or it's a stepping stone where they've served in different roles in, in school organizations or other organizations. They see this as like the next step to, you know, to move forward. That's not where I'm in. The election is April 6th. I'm Dina Vollmer. The three seats on the Unit 5 board will go to the top vote-getters, except no more than one candidate can be elected from among the candidates Janelle Sapar, Gavin Cunningham, and Erica Ralston. School boards limit the number of seats in each congressional township. Kentrica Coleman, Jeremy DeHigh, and Stan Gozier are also seeking election to the board.
This is Sound Ideas. I'm Charlie Schlenker. The Bloomington City Council voted to move forward on the nearly $12 million O'Neill Pool and Park project on the city's west side. The aquatic center will include several pools, slides, a lazy river, and a splash pad. The project also expands parking and rebuilds the skate park. It's set to open in May of 2022. In this interview with Ryan Denham, Terry Renner says it's great to see the project locked in before his time as mayor ends this spring. This is a huge, big deal. And it's it, certainly you'd have to go back to probably the Coliseum where you had, which is more controversial, of course, in this, but where you had uh, an investment that intense, a capital project that intense in a particular area. And just to, just to, to clarify, the economic development isn't, it's not the case as had perhaps been suggested that if the only people that come to the pool are people in Bloomington, you're just moving the money around. First of all, I don't think that's going to be case. I think there'll be people coming from smaller towns and other communities, especially given its proximity to the interstate. But even if that wasn't true, the property values in the immediate area are certainly going to go up. It will certainly encourage people who might have been skittish about investing in their own property, thinking they can't get their money out of it to, uh, to help fix up their, their property. You don't put a $12 million investment in an aquatic center in an older neighborhood and not have some economic spillovers that are positive. Right now, Bloomington's uh, other pool, the, the one that's open or will be opening is Holiday. And it's it's pretty affordable to get in. I think it's five bucks, which is just slightly cheaper than uh, the pools or aquatic centers in normal. How is the city going to make sure that this new O'Neill pool, this this new fancy pool is actually stays affordable for, for everybody? Well, that that has that's that's really essential. It would be a crime against humanity to put something like that in an older neighborhood and then have the immediate people who are around there can't possibly afford to use that facility. So that has to be number one, a number one priority. It could very well be that we give the equivalent of what the YWCA calls, for example, YMCA calls scholarships, or that we have a sliding scale. But we have to make sure if people can't afford to get in, we need to make sure that they're there. And it, it may be that that is tied to a summer job, youth course, summer job program of some form that anybody who participates there, maybe they and their family, get summer passes for free uh, if they meet certain income requirements. But regardless of what that is, that has to be a a top priority for the council and the next mayor to make sure that that occurs. Uh, This is Sound Ideas. I'm Ryan Denham speaking with Bloomington Mayor Terry Renner. Uh, Also last night, the the council heard a presentation from Public Works Director Kevin Cothey about the garbage, uh, bulk waste, brush pickup, all that stuff in the solid waste program. Uh, the focus of, of his remarks were, were cost savings. And one of the ideas was was possibly eliminating this this twice a year, no extra charge, bulk pickup thing that the city does. What do you think of that idea? I think we should move forward. And personally, I think we should move forward and keep that. Keep at the very least, the two times a year, even if it costs us more money. And so that that obviously will be up up, up to the next mayor and council. They need to just make it clear. For, it's gonna if you want this, and I think we should have it for a variety of reasons. It's probably going to cost you an extra buck fifty a month, or a dollar and a quarter a month, something along those lines. So uh, I would I think that's a, a good investment to make sure that we don't have we, we have a continue to have a, com- a clean city, a city that usually gets very high marks compared to other communities, not just in Illinois but throughout the Midwest. 
Well, the, and, and as part of that discussion last night, there was this question of enforcement. Specifically, I think you and Alderman Matthew were talking about multifamily buildings because the smaller multifamily buildings can still be part of the city's solid waste program. You know, the giant apartment complexes have to go private with their service, but the smaller ones can, can be part of the city's program. Uh, and you suggested there was uh, some abuse of, uh, of maybe the city's solid waste program by some of those multifamily buildings. Can you explain kind of where your head is at on the enforcement question and, and should the city take that up a notch? Absolutely, Ryan. And it's not just, by the way, on the multi-unit facilities, although you're, you're right, that's the majority of them. There are some places where they're smaller, or even maybe mid-sized homes that are rented out. And basically the people who own those houses very often don't even live in Bloomington Normal uh, or any, in many cases, not even in Illinois. In many ways, they're absentee landlords. They make a profit and then the taxpayers literally have to clean up their mess because as people are moving, they dump all of their stuff, uh, their crap out on the uh, on the curb, and we're supposed to pick it up. That's there are almost no communities that do that provide a service like that. And frankly, they shouldn't. They should. We should be moving forward with charging the landlords, the owners of the property, and that you can say it's the tenant's fault and whatever. That's fine. But ultimately. If somebody's leaving this community, the, the one constant is the individuals who are earning money, perhaps even their entire livelihood, and they expect, in a sense, Bloomington taxpayers and other citizens to put the bill for that. And I would say, no way. We need to make sure that we, we clamp down on that. That's a practice that has got to stop. Why isn't the city already doing more in, of that type of enforcement? Well, actually, we, we have upped the enforcement of that, uh, but... One of the things we do is get a lot of pushback, especially if we try to find people. But we do have an administrative court. We established that about, we started that about six years ago. Certainly, we've got the tools to do that. We do need to make sure that we have the staff to do that. We have had a, a, a largely a freeze on anything other than the most essential staff, like 911 dispatchers or police officers since COVID. And that's something that we need to move forward on. I think it's the logical next step to the improvements that we've had in our rental inspection program. That's Bloomington Mayor Terry Renner speaking with Ryan Denham. The mayors of Bloomington and Normal join us most Tuesdays after their council meetings. This is 89.1 FM WGLT and WGLT.org. Black history is an essential part of American history, not just during Black History Month, but all the time. WGLT, the City of Bloomington, and the Bloomington Human Relations Commission congratulate the 2021 Black History Essay Contest winners. WGLT brings you readings of those essays. Today, it's Aaliyah Trice of Irving Elementary School in Bloomington. Here are her words. Ruby Bridges is an African-American civil rights activist. Bridges was born on September 8, 1954. She was the oldest of five children. On November 14, 1960, Ruby Bridges went to a white children's school called William France Elementary School in New Orleans. She was afraid but did not show it. She walked through a crowd with federal marshals on the sides of her. There were white people yelling at her, saying threats and protesting that she shouldn't be there, but she kept on walking. She entered the school and walked down the hallway going to her classroom, seeing no children, no laughter, no yelling, nothing. When she entered her classroom, the only person there was a teacher named Barbara Henry. Every day, Ruby would go to her school and hear all the horrible things said to her, and she would walk inside and learn. 
Towards the end of the school year, children started coming back, but they weren't learning with Ruby. They were with another teacher away from Ruby. The principal took the kids and hid them away from Ruby so they wouldn't see her. Barbara went up to the principal and asked, why aren't the kids with Ruby? Because the teachers don't want to teach Ruby, answered the principal. Then Barbara said, I'll teach the kids then, and she did. One day when Ruby was at recess, a white little boy said, I can't play with you because my mom said not to. Ruby understand where he was coming from. She said that if her mom told her not to play with him because he is white, Asian, Indian, or Hispanic, she wouldn't have played with him either. Ruby said in one of her speeches, when the little boy told her he wasn't allowed to play with her, that's when she knew why she didn't see any other children or teachers and why there was a mob outside. It was all because she was black. Ruby said she would never forget anything that happened to her. Ruby stated that her mother would pray for her from the time she went into the school and the time she came out. That's so serious and scary the situation was. Thank God for the teacher that was there. She was my best friend. She taught me the lesson that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to teach each and every one of us, that you should never judge any someone by the color of their skin. After Ruby finished school, she went on to be an activist and author. In 1999, she formed the Ruby Bridges Foundation. Her foundation promotes the values of tolerance, respect, and appreciation of all differences. Ruby Bridges inspired me to stick up for what's right and what's wrong and to be brave in the darkest times. Ruby Bridges challenged the status quo by integrating the school in her state and her actions changed America. She is an important piece of history. Aaliyah Trice is a fifth grade student at Irving Elementary in Bloomington. Trice is one of the winners of the Black History Essay Contest sponsored by the City of Bloomington Human Relations Commission. Thanks for choosing Sound Ideas on WGLT, made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm Charlie Schlenker. You can find Sound Ideas interviews and stories at WGLT.org. You can subscribe to Sound Ideas on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or NPR One. We want to know what you think of Sound Ideas. Comment on our Facebook page, we're WGLTFM, or follow us on Twitter, we're all at WGLT News. This is WGLT, Bloomington Normal's Public Media.